John chapter 5. And we've been in starting this section where Jesus had just healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And the indictment on Jesus came down that uh, he had equated himself with God. And because he did that, the people wanted to kill him. This started Jesus' march to the cross. From this moment and then other moments as we are going to go through the uh, Gospel of John, we're going to find out that what he said and what he was doing is what people were trying to say, all right, this guy is blaspheming the name of God. Why was he blaspheming? Because he is actually saying with his mouth, with his lips, that he is equal to God. And the Jewish religious folks of that time uh, just couldn't take it. So by the time we get to where we are, last week we talked about John 19, that I am God. The whole book of John, the whole book, from John 1.1 all the way to the end, the whole purpose of John writing this book is that we might know and that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's his whole purpose for writing the book of John, so that we will know that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's why he starts right off at the very beginning with one of my very favorite passages of Scripture, John 1, 1, which if you, if you, in the beginning was the Word. I mean, I just hear that, and I just, my mind just goes, all right, that, that, that says it all. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All that, when I hear that, you know, there are certain passages of Scripture that, that really excites me. That's one passage that really gets me going. Because all I can think about is, God, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of who God is. Because when you see God the Father, you see Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see God the Father. When you see God the Father and you see Jesus, you see God the Holy Spirit. All three in one. One God. One God. Three distinct personalities. Co-eternal. Co-existent. From all eternity. And when we get to John chapter 5, Jesus says, let let me just help you out to understand that I am God. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Jesus does nothing just because of his own will, because he just wants to do it. Everything he does, he says, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, Jesus does. He is the split image. He is God himself. Later on, Jesus says, listen, when they asked him, when have we seen God? What does Jesus tell? Tell his disciples. Wait a minute. When you see me, you have seen the Father. For I and the Father are what? One. Why ask that question? Because we, somebody was talking about, we were talking about some some heavy stuff in Sunday school. And um, made me think that, When you talk about theology, it's not an easy topic to discuss. But to wrap our minds around that one God, three personality, that's not an easy thing. And I will not reduce God down to what I've heard many people try to say. It's like water, gas, and water, ice, and vapor. No, 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 no. The same substance, but three different ways. You know, I'm a son, I'm a father, and I'm a husband. No, that doesn't. There's nothing we can come up with in three different aspects that will ever come close as to who God is. Years ago, you know, I, I, I don't like, I mean, it's, it's cute and it kind of catches people's attention, but I'm not a big fan of Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is, I mean, Coke is the real thing, too. You know, we, we come with these little quaint 
expressions to help us grasp a hold of who God is. No, he's better than that. I don't, I'm even coming under the conviction that God is just not good. God is great. A cheeseburger is good. A thick, juicy steak is good. God is what? Great. So one anymore. I'm saying, oh, no, God, not, God is good. Yeah, that's true. I understand what we're saying, but really God is great. All the time and all the time, God is great. Amen. Amen. That kind of changes perspectives when you think about that because no matter what's going on, God is the one that's in control. But here's what, here's what Jesus wants us to know. He says in verses 19, and then we get right down to 21, the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. He says, and greater works than these will he show him so that you marvel. He just healed this guy of dealing with, if you want to deal with the election, of all the sick people that were in that colonnade. There were hundreds, maybe thousands that were lying there waiting for the moving of the water one time a year. Of all the people that had been there, and this guy had been there for 38 years, and for 38 years he was never able to make it in the water. But Jesus, in his electing of one man at that colonnade, one man that needed healing, Jesus selects the one man that had been there for 38 years and heals him, tells him, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Of all that were there, why him? Well, I can ask us the same question. Of all the people that are in the world, why did God choose you to be saved? What was so special about you and I that God extended his call and invitation for salvation that allowed you to come down and say, yes, I want to believe. I want to confess, profess, and ask God for forgiveness of my sin, and now I'm willing to live for him. What is it about you and I that we're so good that God chose us? And the fact that Ephesians says, from the very foundation of the, before there was a world in existence, God knew you would be in this place at this time. God knew that you would be one of his children. What is it about us? Absolutely nothing. It's all God and not us. And here's what he says. He says at the end of that verse, verse, verse 20, greater works than these. I'm going, That's pretty good work. To take somebody that had been sick for 38 years, tell them to take up, rise up, take up your bed, rise up, and walk. Uh, that's pretty big. And Jesus says, oh, you think that's big? Oh, there's some other things about who I am. You think that I just said I, I and my father are one, and we're co-equal, co-eternal. You think that's big? You think that you actually with your own eyes seen this guy for 38 years get up and take his bed? And well, you think that's great? Well, I'm going to tell you something. My father says greater works than these you will do. And they did. Because what he tells them in that very next verse, he says, and greater works than these will Will he show him so that you may, what? Marvel. You marvel at this. Wait till you see what's coming down the road. I'm going to, the Father's going to allow me, the Father through me and I through him, we're going to do some things that you think this is like, wow. Oh, there's some things coming down that are going to make you just sit back in, a, in, a, in astonishment, in total like, I don't believe it. Have you ever had one of those moments that something never happened and it's just like, it was just so overwhelming so I, 
I, I, I think of many moments that, that I could, if, you know, if you had the, if you watch the, the NCIS series, you know, uh, with NCIS with Gibbs and all of them, and then the NCIS Los Angeles, one of the things they do is with the camera, you know, you know that, that sound the camera makes. If I had those, the camera flash moments, oh, I could think of many moments that were just like, wow. I mean, I can go back to the time I married my wife. That was a moment. To see her come out, and we got married in the front room of her mother's home. And I said to myself, wow, there's my bride. Whoa. Yes, I felt like Adam. When Adam saw Eve, he could only do one thing. Whoa! Mercy, mercy, my father. Woo! I mean, Adam didn't, Adam didn't see Eve and just go, wow, she's a beautiful woman. Oh, he was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. That's a, that was a special moment. I could go to when my kids were being born, being in the room, Tom. I was right there. You know, the first one, the second one, the third one, all there. And just watching the baby come out and forth and, and all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, only God could do something like this. He knew what he was doing because if he would have put it on man, we would never be able to have children because we don't like pain. Thank you, Jesus. And but the first one, I remember the little nurse telling me, oh, Mrs. McGee, it won't be long. Well, that was like eight hours later, and then we're still there. I'm thinking when she said it won't be long, I'm thinking, okay, I'll give it an hour, you know, 45 minutes. We ought to be out of here. Oh, no. No. Special moments. Watching my kids, my children graduate. I'm getting, one, getting ready to graduate from high school. I have two. That, those are moments that, that, that you just think, sit back and go, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You know, they have special moments. Even the, even the sad moments in my life. I go back to find out about my dad. I mean, that was like, I remember it till today. You know, all these special moments. Jesus is saying, just like those moments, I am going to do some things that's going to be totally amazing. What's one of the things? That, one of the, what is one of the things that he is going to do? I'm glad you asked that question. He says in verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead. And gives them life. So also the Son gives life to whom he will. In the outline that you have and and some of the verses, I'm not going to read all these verses, but one of the things I I wrote down, sorry, if you want to say my introduction, say, well, I thought you already did the introduction. Well, not really. We are never more helpless than when a loved one dies. If our loved one is sick, we can bring medicine. If our loved one is weary, we can offer rest. If our loved one is, if our loved one needs rest, oh, sorry, if our loved one is weary, we can offer rest. If our loved one is discouraged, we can provide encouragement and consolation. If our loved one is destitute, we can provide financial support. But what happens when if he or she dies, all we can do is mourn our loss? Only God has the power 
to restore life. Probably if I said no more than that, I could be done. Because what Jesus is trying to get them to understand, there's a twofold thing here. He talks about God has power to give life to the dead. Somebody that's in, only God could take them. Some of those people that are right over here, a couple streets over in that graveyard, or out on Center Road or any other cemetery, only God has the power to take somebody, no matter how long they've been in that ground, and physically raise them up, up out of the grave. Only God can do that. Now, I understand man is getting smart. I understand man is trying to create life, but man is not ever going to be, he will not be able to do that because only God can take nothing and make something. And no matter how far God allows man to do, it all comes back to, it starts with God. The genes, the chromosomes, the mixing all, it all, they can do all they want to. But in the end, it has to come back there as a starting point. And the ultimate starting point always goes back to God. And I hear some of us, I hear some of us, you mean to tell me in 2016, an intelligent guy like you really believes that there is a God that can raise somebody that was dead? Yes, I do. You know why? Because my, and I'll, I'll use what, what we learned at Cedar Hill College, my presuppositional base, that by which I operate everything in my life, always starts with God. And if God is who he says he is, and I believe he is, all-powerful, all-knowing, able to do anything, he allowed the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground, he raised up all the, yes, I really believe that only he is able to cause somebody that we may have mourned for that died and we have buried. Only God can cause that person to get up out of the grave. Why? Because God has the power. I just read for you what we cannot do. Only God is able to do that. We have many, we have many instances of these things and then I think we have the verses up there. You can read those for yourself. Second point, God in the Old Testament reveals several times that he does that. 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24, 2 Kings 4, 32 through 37, and 13, uh, 2 Kings 13, 20, 20 through 21. Amen? Amen. Only God. And those, those examples are where God took somebody that was dead in the Old Testament and raised them up. Now, I said that this life has two different folds. There's the physical aspect of God raising somebody up, but there's also another component. God, Jesus, because he is God, and God is Jesus, and Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit are all the same. Jesus has that same power as the Father. Got it? Now, you say, Pastor, and this is the most celebrated, most well-known in John chapter in John chapter 4, we find out two things about the spiritual aspect. In John 4, 13, Jesus, the woman at the well, says some interesting words that lets us know that spiritually, God can give us life. John 4, 13 says, Jesus said to her, who's the her? The woman at the well. Everyone, not some certain ones, everyone who drinks of this water Talk about the water at the well. We'll be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Her response, well, wait a minute. You mean there's this water that I'm pulling out of this well that when I'm thirsty, and I'm thirsty, It's only temporary. Yeah, Jesus said, this, only, this only satisfies you temporarily. But you know what? I am living water. And if you drink of me, oh, you'll never be thirsty again. That's our challenge. We need to drink of Jesus. Amen? Because he is that living water. I think about the parable of two things in John 11, talking about physical resurrection, a familiar man by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. You read the account, and evidently, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they were all good friends. But I find it interesting what Jesus does about physically raising Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for a couple of days. If you read the account, it talks about, it says, there was a certain man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary, his sister Martha. It was Martha who anointed. John's telling us who she is. She was the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus, was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. This is Martha. Remember the Martha that took her hair, poured on, they got on her because it was expensive oil? What are you doing? My God, woman, do you know how much this oil? And back then, that was a very expensive oil. It was close to maybe a year's worth of wages for those who were poor. And she's pouring, not on his head, but on his feet. Oh, come on now. What are you doing? That's the Martha, that's the one we're talking, that's the Mary we're talking about. And evidently, they were good friends because they, he says, uh, by the way, the Lord, he says, the ointment on his hair, he says, the one, her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sister sent to him, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus, the guy that you love, that you have a, a, a close affinity to, a, 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 a brotherly love, that special bond of affection, he's ill. What are you going to do? I think it's interesting that he, Jesus says, and he heard it, the illness does not lead to death. What he's, what he's going through doesn't lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Do you not think Jesus already knew that Lazarus was sick? Yes, he did. He already knew it. Why? He's God. God knows all. I mean, they're coming and telling us, all right, that they told him, but he already knew that. And he's telling them, the reason why he's doing this and the reason why he dies is not is, is being done for my glory so that you might know who I am. I am God. Not only did he love Lazarus, he says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, this is interesting. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he didn't jump up, get on his donkey or his camel or whatever, or start walking immediately. Oh, my God, Lazarus, the one who I love. Hey, we got to go. Sorry, I appreciate the dinners and everything, but we got to go. No, he stayed where he was at. Two more days. 
Hmm. Let some of us try that. People think, you need to go now. You need to do it now. We need to do it now. No, Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's God. Number one, I already know Lazarus is And I already know that what's going to happen is for the purpose of glorifying the Father in me. Lazarus, you need, you need to go. Come on. Let's, we got to get there. Jesus said, no. Jesus says, wait a minute. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, now let us go to Judea. Two days later. A lot could happen in two days. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, of this world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Why are you going back to the very place where they're trying to kill you? Read the gospel accounts, what you find out. They could not lay hold of Jesus until it was his time. And many times he was right there in front of them. And they were about ready to lay hands on him. And then he would get into the crowd of the people. And they're like, well, what did we just saw Jesus? Where did he go? I mean, he was, where'd he go? Look, you can't, nobody can do anything to you until it's your time. No matter what people try to do to you, they, 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 what, they, what people don't understand, what we don't understand is, listen, if God has his hands on you and you're his child, I don't care what you're trying to do or what I try to do to stop somebody. Guess what? If God wants it done, it's going to be done with you or without you. You can't do anything to stop God's program or to stop God's people or to stop God's man or stop God's woman. There's nothing. You, you can try. You can put blocks. You can put this. But in the end. They couldn't lay hold of Jesus, and people can't lay hold of you and I until the Lord allows it. Amen. And that's why he said, we're going back to Judea. Are you nuts? They're trying to kill you. That's all right. It's my time has not yet come. But when it comes, I'll be, you know, we'll be ready for all that. You read the rest of this account, and what you find out is when he gets there, they, they're mourning. They're crying. And he says, he has fallen asleep. He didn't fall asleep. He was <laughs> snoring some Z's. His fallen asleep was he had died. He was dead. The two days Jesus took to stay where he was at, in the meantime, Lazarus has died. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? Jesus. And what they, what they accused Jesus of is, look, he would, this would not have happened if you would have been here. Wait a minute. We told you he was sick. We told you he was ill. And you didn't come. And now he's dead. What are you going to do? You know, when we, ask that, we ask that same question of God so many times. We go through our struggles. We go through our pains. We go through whatever it is. And sometimes we ask, God, do you not understand? Well, God already knows. What makes you and I think he doesn't know? And we ask God the same question they asked Jesus. If you had just, Lord, if you would have answered my prayers two days or two weeks or two years or whatever, I would be in this mess. Well, wait a minute. Some of our messes isn't on God. Some of our messes is on us. And do you not think God, God we here it is. Wait a minute. Hold on, Pastor. Hold it, hold it, hold it. You're telling me God has the whole world in control. And yet I'm having trouble. Yes. Yes. The whole, God has the whole world in, in control. And if God elects to do some things, he will do it. If not, he won't. And yes, you may be going through some things, and I may be going through some things, or our friends, relatives, whoever. All that. Yes, I get that. But guess what? Some of the things that we go through, we have brought on ourselves. And the other part of this is that... Just like with Lazarus, 
God may be using your circumstances and my circumstances to show to us and to others that he is still God. So that when you get delivered, when the rescue comes, when the answer gets there, when whatever it is that's been bothering you or whatever situation you may be, you're delivered from that. You can't take the credit. You've got to give it back to God. And you can only do one thing. To God be the glory for the great things he has done. Because sometimes we think we're smart enough, we're creative enough, we don't need God, we go outside of God, and in the end, God says, you need me more than you think you do. In fact, you need me all the time. I could care less about your education. I could care less about what neighborhood you live in. I could care less what kind of car you drive. God does not care about any of that. What God wants to know from you and I is where is our soul and what is our relationship to him? Because if you and I were to die tonight and the knock comes on our door and the question is asked, you know, tonight, today, this afternoon, where is your soul with God? Today, your soul is required of you. Where are you? I know where some of us hope we are, but we better know where we are. Some said, I don't know. Well, yeah, you can know. The word gives us the assurance of our salvation. I'm saved, and if something was to happen to me today, I ain't guessing where I'm going. And I don't need you to tell me where I'm going. Because I already know where I'm going whether you think I'm going there or not. Not because I'm so big. Uh, my trust in, and faith is in what the finished work of Christ did. I one day came to know Jesus as my personal Savior. I professed him as my Lord and Savior. And I lived my life through him to live for him every single day. I'm saved. He's given me life. He's given me not just physical life. He's given me life eternal. All because I drank of the water that he has that he has given freely. John six thirty seven lets me know that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whomever comes to me, he says, I will never cast out. I came to Jesus one day. I couldn't see it. But this is Sitting in, at the time, Second Baptist Tabernacle, now BNBC. On the right-hand side of the church, three rows back, I think I had a pair of red corduroys with a cuff in it and a shirt and a, and a vest. I told you I remember those moments. And I can remember going to that church, coming Sunday after Sunday, Hearing Pastor Harris said, and back then they, they, did, they didn't worry about how you felt. They would preach and they would say, all right, all who are sinners, raise your hands. Well, you know, you're sitting in a church service and you know you're not saved you know, uh, by the definition that you understand. And the preacher says, anybody in here today that's not saved, raise your hand. Now, you could do, if you're bold. But if you were kind of half, half stepping it, like, you know, praying that nobody would see that your hands like, you know, like this. I attend church for, year, for a couple years, 
And every Sunday, the invitation would go out. And the Lord was dealing with me and saying to me, you need to step forward and accept Christ. You know that the next step in your life is to come to me. And I fought it for a long time. I enjoyed coming to church up until the invitation, up until the point I had to make a decision, up to the point where the Lord was leading me to say, step forward. I, I loved it. I just wasn't willing to do that. And then the devil got smart and said, well, you know, you like sports. You like football. Why don't you stay home on Sunday? Because from 12 o'clock to 1230, the NFL today comes on. And you need to catch up on all the football. And I stopped coming to church for a little while. And then I came back. But that Sunday, I got up, and the Lord said, guess what? This is what's going to happen. You've already accepted me. You just need to be obedient and come. And this morning, when the preacher, or whether the preacher does or does not, when, when the opportunity comes, you just need to step out by faith and come. Took my shower, got dressed, and I already professed and, and saved me before I even came to church. So that when the time for the, before he passed, could even get the words out, I was already making my way up out of my seat, coming down the aisle. Why? Because God had given me life. He took what that which was dead. How can a dead thing get life other than God puts life in it? Whether it be physically or spiritually. If you are spiritually dead, you have no means by which you can come to Christ other than God puts life spiritually in you. You're dead. Ain't nothing dead can move without God. You have he quickened. You have he made alive so that you could come to Christ. And I understand people want to take credit for it, but you can't take credit for that. God puts his life in you that allows you to say, yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul, what am I going to say? Yes, Lord. Amen. amen. And if you can't say amen, hopefully you will be able to say it one day because that's the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So God says, I come to give you life. Today, the question is, does somebody in here need life? Spiritual life? I don't understand how we could say we are saved. We know Jesus. We love Jesus. He's the difference in my life. He, he, he's the captain of my soul. He's the reason I do what I do. I don't understand how we, not, I'm not talking about this here, this is a problem here too, but in other places also. How do we sit on God? How do you do that? When you look at what God has done for you and I, how do we actually tell God, you know what, God? I want George to do all this. How do you do that? Explain to me how we do that. How do we not say, you know what, God, I'm not a great singer, but I can sing. How do we not say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the Lord, one of the talents that I think I have or one of the abilities I do have, I can sing. And since I can sing, I want to be part of the worship praise team, or if we have a choir, I want to be part of the choir. I want to learn that. I, I, I think that's what God wants me to do. How do, we not, how do we not do that? How do we not say, you know what? I have the ability to understand some things about the Word of God. I think I, 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 think I would like to teach a Sunday school class, or I'd like to teach maybe to the young people, or, or teach whatever. How do, how do we not do that? 
How does God use the talents that we have? Say, we're, we're in high school. We're in the choir at the high school. We're, we're in band at the high school. And we have a talent to play an instrument or sing. And, and we don't use that same talent to the glory of God. How do we do that? How do we not say, you know what? I need to be a, maybe an usher or be somebody that, that can be a welcoming person when the people come into the church. How do you not do that? All the things that we say we want to do and what we should be about. How do we sit on God and not allow God use us? And in the same breath, we tell people, God has given me life. Well, if he's given you life, you know what my pastor used to tell, me, tell us years ago? Anything dead ought to be buried. That's why I do my best to keep all our plants and stuff looking alive. I don't like plastic flowers because there's no life in no plastic flower. But if there's a, a, a plant or a flower, my wife gets on me all the time, you need to water your plants because they're looking awful weak right now. And they come back to life. We're going through the series. I'll close on this. We talked about I am a church member. What does it mean to be a member of a church? We went through that. Some of you didn't want to go through that because you elected that you didn't need all that. That's fine. Great, wonderful, whatever. God be the glory. You know, all that good stuff. That's on you. It ain't on us. Secondly, we, we're going through the church, through the program. I will. So she put it all together yesterday. I will. What, is, what does that mean? Whatever it is, I'm not going to ask the pastor to do it. I'm not going to ask other, the, the leadership team to do it. I'm not going to ask other. I've said, I will do it. We need ushers. Guess what? I will. We need somebody to be saying, I will do it. We need somebody to do this. I will. I will. I will. I will. And you know what the next book is going to be? Some of my pastor friends, you're going to go through that? I said, well, sure. The autopsy of a dead church. Because if you're a church member and you understand what that means, and if you're the person that sits in the church and says, guess what? Whatever is needed, that's what I'm willing to do. If you do that and we don't do it, then guess what? We need to analyze. We need to have an autopsy on our church. And you as a member, and I as a member, maybe the autopsy comes up. We're dead. Because there's no way you can be a member and, and say, I will, and not do. It's an impossibility. Because where God is, where there is life. Jesus said, I am life. I give life, and I give life more abundantly. So if you're that person that has life, beyond physical life, point in all of us, you need to have that life lived out. And I understand. Some of you don't think I do, but I understand. Life can be hard. Life can be difficult. But you know what? In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, I look unto the hills. What's up there? What's well, lights? I see lights, Pastor. Oh no! Look beyond the lights in the wall. Look beyond up through the roof and up through the sky. Look to a God who has brought us a mighty long way. Some of us have been blessed above and beyond what we could ever think God was going to do. We've got, we've got houses that we're living in that we don't deserve. We've got cars we're driving we don't deserve. We've had health. We've had strength. We've had problems that God's brought. All those things God has done for us. And for us not to have an attitude of gratitude and say, Lord, whatever it is, be like I said, here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me. Here I That's the question you need to ask. What is it? What is it? 
that God, that he's given you life, his life, energizing us. What is it he wants you to do? He didn't call you to just come on Sunday morning and sit and look at me like, hey, pastor. It's beyond these four walls. It's beyond just coming on Sunday and Wednesday. It's a 24-7, seven days a week, 365 day a year for the rest of your life, giving God your life and to God be the glory for how he works out. I could probably call some people right now that will say, you know what? I can bring up, I am a witness. Maybe that's our problem. I really think that's part of our problem. We're not able to witness the goodness of God. We don't say it often enough. Anybody in here been blessed by God? Really? Have you? Then why don't we act like that? Why don't we tell somebody? You know what? What was the song? I, uh, uh, I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I what? Couldn't keep it to myself. I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. Oh, I couldn't keep it to myself. Oh, I couldn't keep it to myself. I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. What the Lord has done for me. You ought to been there. You ought to been there when Jesus Save my soul. You ought to been there. You ought to been there when he made my name on the roll. I started talking. I started walking. I started singing. I started shouting. Oh, what the Lord has done for me. Now that's that's when you know. That's when you know. When you can't sing, it's all off key, but you just don't care anyhow. Because I ain't worried about you going, did you hear past? Oh, my God. My ears were hurting. He was straining. He was, oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about my God. I'm talking about Jesus, Mary's baby, Joseph's stepson, stone hooed out the mountain, the meek and humble lamb. That's who I'm talking about. And I can care less what you think about my singing. But you know what I noticed? Y'all started singing, too. And some of y'all were off key, too. Amen. God, God's been good, hasn't he not? And the key thing Jesus is trying to get him to say, I am God. I've come to give life. Not just causing somebody up out of the grave, but I want to implant my spirit in you, spiritually, to cause you to live a life that if you follow me, I will get, you're going to be on an adventure. You're going to have a life that you could never imagine or think. And you'll find yourself in places and in circumstances that it's only God that got you there. I sit on the council at Cedarville College, and I sit there and I think to myself, how did I get here? Because I'm not that formally, I mean, I have some education, but everybody that's in that group, they've been to seminary, they got uh, doctorates in theology and masters in divinity and all this stuff. And I told the guy that asked me to join, the, to join, I said, I don't know what I bring. He says, you bring a lot. You just don't realize it. He said, you need to stay right. Don't be thinking about leaving. You stay right here. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a little nobody. I'm a, like a dot in the middle. So, yeah, God put you. And I'm, not, I'm not the only one. There's those of you. I listen to Sigurd's story. I listen to your sister's story. It's all God. And you have a story. Amen? Amen? Let God continue to write the story of your life. Young people, I'm going to say this. 
you do yourself a disservice when you don't allow the Lord to use you. I know some, I got a daughter, think of uh, Tasia and some others are going to graduate in a short time. You're out of school. They're out of school. Technically. I mean, they got May. May's going to be here before you know it. And somebody has said this, only the things you do for Christ will last. Baby, I'm glad you're graduating. Proud of you. Glad you've been accepted to college. Great. But don't forget about the Lord. Amen. Because what happens to a lot of our young people, and I can't even say that because I can talk, talk about older people. We get out, we get going in the world, and we leave the foundation that was laid. Listen to some of the movie stars. Listen to some of the sports athletes. Listen to some of these people that are all, all big time. One of the things, if, they, if you really listen to them, what you really hear sometimes is some of, some, some of the people that are in the entertainment field singing. Where'd you get your start? In a little bitty church singing in the little kids' choir. They went to the big choir, and somebody thought I could sing. I learned how to play an instrument because I was in a church, and they allowed me to exercise my gift. My son is a classic example. When he first started playing the drums, horrible, bad. Couldn't keep, I can remember Tim Harris just getting on him. Come on, Joshua, get with the beat. Come on, come on, come on. Look where he's at today. Can play with the best of them. Amen? That's what God could do. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for life that's in the Son, in your Son, Jesus Christ. May your Son work in all of our life to the end that you would get glory. I am God. I am the life giver. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.